this to the children's church. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and open to Second Chronicles chapter seven. Second Chronicles chapter seven. And uh, the month of July, we're doing something uh, very, very different. Uh, we're just going to take some events in uh, American history where God has intervened, or uh, today where God was called upon to intervene in history. And uh, <clears throat> I have mentioned uh, the story that we're going to talk about today on several occasions, but had really never taken uh, time to thoroughly research uh, the story of today. And uh, it's amazing. The special was about prayer and uh, this morning's message will be about prayer. Uh, this is a story from World War II, and it's amazing story of faith from what is arguably the most profane uh, general uh, that America had in World War II, and that was General uh, George Patton. He is known for his... Uh, 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 use of uh, vulgar language. He was uh, one of the, those people that always was over the top. In fact, uh, it was recorded just a week or so before he died. He said, anyone who is willing to settle for mediocrity is... Uh, um, is, is bound to lose their own life, and it's against the American way, is what he said. And uh, certainly, if General Patton was anything, he was always over the top, good, bad, or indifferent. And, and a famous story uh, of General Patton's was during the Battle of the Bulge. I'll just kind of set the, uh, the context here, if you'll uh, allow, allow me to tell a, a little of the story uh, the Normandy invasion had happened in June. They had progressed to the German border. It was now December. The, uh, they were ready to advance into the heart of Germany. Everyone believed that the war was over. The Russians were closing in from the east. Uh, it was just a matter, in fact... In April, May, the first week of May, World War II in Europe would be over. We are now just before Christmas, the 1st of December. And there was a general complacency. Uh, the, the rains and, and the fall weather had just literally brought everything to a standstill. Uh, one of the most battered units among the American lines, they were removed from the place where they were actively engaged in the fighting. They said, we're going to move you to a sector where nothing happens. We're going to arrest you. Uh, they got put in the Ardennes just before the Battle of the Bulge. So these were men that were tired, were worn. Their, their unit organization was shattered and... They were put there, and they were the people who were standing the offense here. It is called the Battle of the Bulge simply for this reason. The Germans secretly took all of their supplies, rebuilt the, the Panzer Army that would uh, uh, slice through the American lines. And in a section there, they pushed upwards of 60 miles through the American front. Their goal was to connect with the supplies and the seaport there uh, in what is modern-day Holland. And if they had been able to make that connection, the Germans could have fought a great deal longer than they did. Well, it was in those weeks before the battle came... And I found an interesting article written by Chaplain James Hugh O'Neill. Has anybody ever heard of that name before? He was the chief 
chaplain of the Third Army. He had over 300 chaplains in the Third Army. The commanding general of the Third Army was General Patton. And he claims that on December 8th, General Patton called him into his office and asked him about a prayer for the weather. He said, if these rains don't stop, if the clouds don't clear, if this weather doesn't clean up, we, we will not be able to move forward uh, into Germany. Now, remember, the Battle of the Bulge didn't start till December 16th. And so, as he calls in Chaplain O'Neill, he said, I, I want a prayer about the weather, because we've got to have something happen with the weather, or this bad war is going to go on forever. And so, Chaplain O'Neill, who actually was a Catholic priest, uh, went back to his office and consulted his prayer books because that's where Catholics get most of their prayers out of a book and couldn't find anything. So he wrote his own. And, and here's what he wrote. Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain these immoderate rains with which we have had to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken unto us as soldiers who call upon thee, that armed with thy power we may advance from victory to victory and crush the oppression and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. Amen. Now, that was the prayer that, that this Catholic priest concern, uh, composed. And I'll tell you, nothing wrong with that prayer. Uh, uh, a little flowery for me, but I didn't live in 1940, and I'm not a Catholic priest. So, uh, being that it was close to Christmas, Chaplain O'Neill tells the story that he decided on the other side of the card on which the prayer was to be printed, he would put Christmas greetings from the general. He, he said, he, knowing Patton a little bit that he did, serving several campaigns, he said, if it pleased the men, if it would encourage the men of the army, it would make General Patton happy. So he walks into his office in the pouring rain and hands him this card, and, and the, uh, he read it. And there was also a directive letter that went out to all the chaplains. And that letter was called General Orders Number 5 or something along those lines. And what that did was, it was a letter directed by Patton, written by the chaplain to the chaplains, to encourage their men to pray. And I just want to read you a little of the discussion that Chaplain O'Neill claimed happened between him and General Patton. He said, Chaplain, this is General Patton speaking, I am a strong believer in prayer. There are three ways that men get what they want, by planning, by working, and by praying. Any great military operation takes careful planning or thinking. Then you must have well-trained troops to carry it out. That's working. But between the plan and the operation, there's always an unknown. That unknown spells defeat or victory, success or failure. It is the reaction of the actors to the ordeal when it actually comes. Some people call that getting the breaks. I call it God. God has his part or margin in everything. That's where prayer comes in. Now, that was written by General Patton. Uh, at least uh, Chaplain O'Neill claims that that was spoken by him. I'd heard the story many different ways. I'd heard uh, that General Patton called for a chaplain. He said, I want a Baptist chaplain that prayed. Well, that was a Baptist preacher told that story. Uh, so, a little embellishment there. But I, I want you to understand something. 
that prayer was printed on a card, and on the other side was Christmas greetings from General Patton. He actually signed it, and his signature was printed on the card. He had 250,000 of those cards printed and one sent to every man in the Third Army. He then had the the chaplains and all of the field commanders read the letter written from Chaplain O'Neill, commanding them and directing them to encourage every man in their outfit to pray. Now, here's the amazing part of this story. According to Chaplain O'Neill, this all began on December 8th, eight days before the Battle of the Bulge began. The cards were passed out to the men. Supposedly, the target date was the 16th, but because of the pressure that Chaplain O'Neill put on the printers and other people, the cards were passed out between the 12th and the 14th of December, encouraging every man in the Third Army to seek God's prayer about the weather, uh, that these things could happen, uh, that the weather would clear, that they'd be able to uh, move forward. On the 16th, 200,000 well-hidden Germans with all of their armor pierced the American lines, rolled right through the front, killing many of our soldiers as they were frozen in, in their foxholes. The weapons that they had just bounced off the German armor. Our only real weapon against German armor was if two or three of our tanks would get on one German tank and then one of them would sneak behind and hit the tank from behind. It was the only way that they could put them out, often sacrificing at least one, if not two, American tanks to take out one German. Our, our most effective weapon was a bomb dropped from a plane. Uh, or a direct hit by an artillery shell, which is almost impossible on a moving tank. And so, that was our main defense, but with the rain and the clouds and the snow and the storms, there's no airplanes. In fact, the tactical advantage that the Americans had was almost completely negated by the weather. And the Germans began pushing through the American lines. 77,000 Americans would become casualties in these next nine days called the Battle of the Bulge. 82,000 German casualties. And that does not count all of the prisoners and everything that was taken. It was called by many the most dangerous... um, Uh, offensive of the European theater. If the Germans were able to get to the supplies behind the Allied lines, the war would have taken on a whole new characteristic and, and a life of its own. The cards were given out two days before the battle began. And Just four days later, the Germans had pushed 60 miles in. The town of Bastogne and several other little enclaves were completely surrounded by German uh, divisions, and yet they held out stubbornly. One of the greatest tactical moves during the entire war was General Patton's Third Army was engaged on a uh, many-mile front in one of the most heavily defended areas of Germany called the Saar. That was their industrial heartland. And he peeled off three, uh, a huge portion of his army, keeping enough there to keep them intact so they didn't run through the line there, and then marched over 100 miles north and back 
to meet the armies of Germany in the Battle of the Bulge. If General Patton had done that, no other, Germ- no other uh, general in the war, when he told Eisenhower what he was doing, the other generals in the room laughed at him. He said, they're already on their way. And they stopped laughing. Then the skies cleared. Then the American planes came in. And all of a sudden, tanks stopped moving. And our men got their supplies. And General Patton's uh, Third Army um, uh, pierced the perimeter of German defenses and met up with our soldiers right after Christmas there, a day or two after Christmas, and sealed the fate of Germany completely. The divisions of the German army that had pierced our front were captured or destroyed, and by the 1st of February, it was as if nothing had ever happened, except nearly 200,000 German soldiers were no longer fighting in the war, and an entire Panzer army had been destroyed, the last one that they had. I'd like to just say something here. We understand that God hears prayers. God cannot help but hear prayers. But we have a promise in this book called the Bible that God will hear and answer the prayers of His children. And I want to challenge you. I don't tell this story here to glorify uh, General Patton. We have no evidence. I've not read everything that the general said. He believes he believed in God. There's no question about that. But James chapter 2 tells us the devil does as well. So that, that gives us very little hope of seeing General Patton on the right side of eternity. But that didn't stop him from believing in prayer. And God intervened. How did General Patton send out his request to prayer just before a battle that no one knew was going to happen erupted? I tell you, I believe God works in the hearts and minds of any person who is willing to give God credit for being who and what he is. Can we say amen to that? Are you following me? You have to think a little bit about this story. It's not just as cut and dried as we would often like it to be. But real life isn't always just A plus B equals C, now is it? But I will tell you this. The the heart of this story is very simple. When people pray, God pays attention. When God's people pray... God answers prayer. Now, that's pretty simple now, isn't it? And I will tell you, history is full of stories of men who had what we would call like precious faith. We'll never know their names this side of glory. Privates, corporals, sergeants, some officers who were just there following orders. But what do you think happened in their heart and soul when they got an order that said pray? Hey, we've already been doing that, but we're going to pray a little harder, don't you think? And right there in those first critical four days of the Battle of the Bulge, God's people prayed. And God intervened. The Battle of Bulge, instead of being a decisive victory and a, uh, a, a re- uh, rejuvenation of the war effort in Germany, became a last gasp of a dying regime. And I don't want to give anybody credit for that except God. Amen? Because that's to whom the prayers were directed. 
Now, if, I hope you've opened your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 7. And we want to read a verse that might be very familiar to some. But I, I want us to look at this. The context of this verse is the dedication of the temple. And God appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayers, and if this people sin against me and I bring my judgment on them, here's the solution to that problem. Verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now that is directed to the nation of Israel, directed to King Solomon, who was the king at that time. And it was, God was giving them instruction for what they would have to do Because both Solomon and God and any thinking person knew the history of Israel wasn't a very consistent history, was it? I mean, we have the book of Judges, 400 years. Serve God, serve the devil, serve God, serve the devil, serve God, serve the devil. And every time that... uh, They took a a step away from God. It seemed like they went further into depravity until we get to the end of the book of Judges. And the the details of that story are so horrible, it's almost impossible to relate properly. But that's what happens when people turn their back on God. And I, I will tell you, My, my heart is broken for what's going on in our country at this time. How many people would share that sentiment? The things that are going on. And it never fails. We have these people out there who say, What we need is a Christian in the White House. You know what? I, I don't know that that would solve our problems. That's not what God said. Here's what God said. He said, if my people. He didn't say, if all of Israel as a nation. Because not all of Israel believed in God. You just read through your Bible. There were some pretty horrible people living in that nation at that time. Uh, Just like there is today. turn. Keep your finger or bookmark there in Second Chronicles because we're coming back, but I just want to examine this phrase, my people. What, what does that mean? And we understand that the chosen people of God is the nation of Israel, but God has explained in the, the book of Romans that the Jewish people have been set aside that God is not dealing with Israel as a nation as he did in the Old Testament. His primary dealing with this world in which we live is through his church. And by the way, just because it says it's his church doesn't mean that it's his church. It's got to be the church that follows the Bible. And here in John chapter 10, we have a few verses In verse 24, the the religious leaders say, If you're Christ, tell us plainly. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you. And ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I 
and my father are one. Of course, the response was to try to stone Jesus, to silence him, right there in the temple. Can I ask you a question? God is not asking for unsaved people to behave like Christians. God is asking for those of his pasture, of his sheep, to behave like the shepherd would direct us. You see, what we're doing is we're taking an application here. And I believe I've illustrated from history here that if the profane General Patton could get an answer to prayer by encouraging everyone to pray, and certainly some godly people prayed and God answered those prayers, uh, General Patton was on the right side of history. There's no doubt about that. And yet he had enough foresight to understand that even the demon-possessed and, and fanatical Nazis could defeat the Allied armies if they weren't depending on something greater than the fanaticism that empowered their, their, the enemy. He said, I'm going to believe in the God of the Bible. God said, if my people, are you one of those sheep? Do you know his voice? You know, sometimes in the Christian life, and I don't know how else to say this, we'll draw an artificial boundary and we'll say, well, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'll be faithful in church. I'll tithe. I'll do this. But I'm not doing that. Or, Lord, I'll give this up. I'll give that up. But, uh, you know, nobody else is going this far, so I'm not going to go that far. I mean, these are things that we do. Here's what God told Solomon. If my people. Now Jesus said, here's my people. He said, they hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Can I ask you a question? Can you follow God too closely? Can you? On the other side of that, is there anything that you can find or obtain out there in the world that's going to help you be a better servant of Jesus Christ? See, I want to challenge you that you can't find anything in the world. There is no understanding. There is no philosophy. There is no thought process that the world offers that's going to help you follow Jesus Christ. The only thing that will help you follow Jesus is listening to His voice, obeying His words that are in this book. And there are no boundaries in following God. He is not going to require something of you that is going to hurt your testimony or your ability to serve God. You say, but, 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 but I, might, I might have to suffer a little bit. Well, wait a minute. That's a different subject. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, maybe I'll have to let go of a few things. But if I'm going to trust the shepherd, I've got to stop trusting me. Can we say amen to that? If I'm going to be his people. And this idea of being his people. It says, which are called by my name. You know, that is a public testimony. If you want to be unpopular today. Just identify yourself as a Bible-believing Christian. You know what? All those rules that are out there about 
We shouldn't show hate. We should just love one another. Well, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Oh, none of that counts anymore now, does it? You're the source of all the hatred. Uh, Excuse me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'll tell you what. We don't believe in helping sinners by adding sin to their list before God. Uh, I, we have a little track we pass out. It says, how can a man be born when he is old? And it never fails. Uh, I think it was Jason told me Tuesday morning, some uh, little woman comes back to him and says, we don't appreciate what you're doing uh, uh, against abortion. I'm pro-choice. And I told Jason, I said, what's wrong with your conscience? You see a picture of a baby and the first thing you think about is killing them. I said, there's something perverse about that, my friend. There's something terribly evil in our society. How many of you heard about that poor man in France over last week? His wife finally got permission to remove life support and starving to death. It took him nine days to die in a nursing home in France. This is where our world is going. The people who claim to believe in love are for murdering innocent children. And if we say anything against it, we're the ones that are full of hate. Well, I want to challenge you. God is the God of life. And those that follow him always choose life. And people say, but what kind of life is it being a vegetable? You know what? That is not your choice to make. Life is such a precious commodity that if we do not leave it in the hands of God, we will destroy ourselves as a people. And I would think nearly 70 million Abortions qualifies for the destruction of American society. You see, we got some problems right here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Because it says, if my people which are called by my name are, are you willing to have a public testimony that Jesus is your Savior? You see, we have a cure for that. It's called the baptistry. Amen? That is identifying with Jesus as your Savior. We have a place for you to serve and to be active. It's called the local church, the body of Christ. What did Jesus tell the church at Philadelphia? Revelation 3.8, he says, I know thy works... Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Jesus is not a curse word today. I want to challenge you. If God listened to General Patton's prayer... And it wasn't his prayer in particular, other than he's the one that commissioned it. Uh, We're just trying to say it simply. He listened to the prayers of those men uh, that General Patton had requested to pray. Could we not claim the promise if my people which are called by my name? But we, we have people that won't even be willing to be called. By, thy name, by his name. That was one of the great problems that, that has been faced at Community Baptist out on, in Riverhead. Is we had lots of people willing to attend, but they wouldn't get baptized. And they wouldn't want to identify with the church and serve under the authority of a pastor that believes in the Bible. And I'm asking you to pray that God will send people to Community Baptist Church who are willing to be called by the name of Jesus Christ, who are not ashamed of the term Baptist in spite of all of those that sully the name, because historically 
It simply means people of the book. And we don't want to ever sacrifice or separate ourselves from the historical truth of who the Baptist peoples are. But that's just the opening here. Let's get back to our main text, Second Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people which are called by my name... Now, he gives a list of things that these people have got to do. What's the first one? Shall humble themselves. Do you know how hard it is to be humble? Humility is one of those elusive ideas. If you ever just sitting there thinking, wow, that was actually behaving humbly. You just lost it. It's gone. If you can recognize humility in yourself, you've just destroyed it. Do you think this is what Jesus was trying to describe in Luke 17 when he said, Say that we are unprofitable servants. We have done only that which is our duty to do. Uh, I want to challenge you. There's a connection between these verses. When Jesus talks about humbling ourselves, we rely on ourselves so much. It's it's natural. It's... uh, It's endemic. We've got to work against it. I mean, the other night I was just looking for a parking spot and I saw one. I said, oh, no, that's way too small. And I pulled the van. I'm going to try anyway. And zipped it right in. Yeah. I I still got it. And the Holy Spirit was going, who in the world do you think you are? Aren't we that way? We are not humble people. Could I challenge you that actually in our story about General Patton that it was rather humbling for an American general to request that his troops pray? That that could have been taken by many as him not having enough faith in his troops to get the job done. Uh, that that they needed to pray. And General Patton never saw that a bit. If there was anybody that believed the troops could do anything, it was Patton. But you know what? He said, we've got to seek something that's bigger than ourselves. We, we've got to stop trusting in ourselves and in our abilities. It says, humble ourselves and pray. Seeking power that we cannot have. Seeking ability that we cannot obtain. It says, shall humble themselves and pray. Now, let's look at the other things that are listed here. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Um, Can I ask you a question? Can you seek God's face without prayer? No, you can't. But how, how do I seek God's face? Well, let's let's take an illustration from life. We have a young man and a young girl, and they kind of like each other. How can you tell? Because they'll just sit there and go, Hi, how are you? They, they like to look at each other in the face, don't they? What does it mean to seek someone's face? Well, one of the best things that you can see on another person's face, if you're really filling this thing, is a smile. 
Hello? How many of you have ever tried to encourage another human being? And sometimes you tell a little joke or a little remark and... I know you're crying, but could I see a smile? Sometime we'll have to get Joy to sing that song, The Smile on My Daddy's Face. I, I love that song. Don't... Let me, let me ask you a question. What would bring a smile to God's face? Because of your seeking God. I tell you, there's only one thing. Obedience to the Word of God. Surrender to the things that are in the Bible. Letting go of things that I don't understand, that I hold on to, that I, I care greatly about. And understanding that, wait a minute... It is more important to please God than it is to do anything else that we can accomplish as human beings. Could I hear an amen to that? It says, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now, what's the last one? And turn from their wicked ways. You know, we struggle with sin, all of us as human beings. Why is it so hard to give up sin? Could I challenge you? It's because we're not seeking God's face. That seeking God's face, seeking His approval, seeking His smile at the way we live our life is one of the greatest protections that God has given us from temptation and sin. That if we could just understand that by being obedient and serving God His way, I can bring His love and favor into my life. But we've got to turn. This is the great problem with the quote-unquote new Christianity. And if you want to know why Bible-believing Christianity, why old-fashioned preaching is so out of vogue, it's because the world in which we live wants their sin and wants God to commend them for it. That's what this whole God made me this way movement is all about. God didn't make you anyway except in His image. Adam took care of that. You're in the image of Adam now, a sinful uh, person, and you're condemned to hell forever unless you're willing to humble yourself and pray and ask God to save you. If you ask Him to save you, would you be willing to seek His face? There has no revival ever happened anywhere until God's people had a revival of personal holiness in their own lives. That is the only connection between all these groups, the, the 18, uh, 15, uh, 1847 prayer meeting, the the Great Awakening 1, the Great Awakening 2, before the revolution... Uh, War of the Revolutionary War of the United States and, and all, all of these things. And so, here's what God says. If my people, which are called by my name, so we're starting out with someone who's saved, someone who's willing to identify as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who is willing to hold up God's name, now they have to humble themselves. Because it's not about you. It's about God. They have to pray. They have to seek God's face. And it is they who must turn from their wicked ways. Then God says he'll do some, some, some things. 
It says, Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. I have not given up hope on the United States because there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds the number the actual number should be in the thousands i don't know the exact number no one does of little churches just like this one and if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways. It says God's going to hear from heaven. I believe God can still hear. I don't think He needs a hearing aid. And I don't think He needs me to shout out loud so that He can hear me. I don't know if you caught it, but the servant said he prayed that prayer uh, about what the woman would say in his heart before Rebecca came. She couldn't have heard the prayer because he prayed it in his heart to God. It says, God will hear from heaven. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you could think of a problem that you've had with sin since last Sunday morning? I think almost every hand would go up in here. Wouldn't we like to do a little better in the battle of sin? says, I will forgive their sins. He says, and I'll heal their land. God promises to hear prayers from His children who will humble themselves, who will pray, who will seek His face. Why is that so important? Because God will not answer prayers that are not according to His will. Read 1 John chapter 5. Uh, How are we going to know His will? When we seek His face? Amen? When we turn from our wicked ways? Could I maybe just say the challenge this way? If God answered this prayer, whose entire impetus was with a very profane general, George Patton, no, no reflection on him other than this is how he is known in history. He's a great general. But he challenged his chaplains and his men to pray. God answered their prayer. Now, if God would do it for George Patton, how about Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Do you think we have a little more standing with God than George Patton did? Hello? We need to see God do some very special things. One of them is to see more people get saved, baptized, join the church. We need more people who are willing to be called by his name, willing to identify with him. Guess what? We need to see God do some special things at Union Baptist Church. How about Morris Park? Community Baptist. You know, it would be it would be wonderful if I could get some of these other churches off my plate and they could take care of their own things. I would enjoy that greatly. I'd have a little more time to be pastor here. A lot more time. But nothing's going to happen if my people, which are called by my name, won't humble themselves and pray and seek His face. And I dare say that even in this auditorium this morning, we have enough wicked ways represented that we, we just really don't need to go there today. It would be a whole lot better just to get rid of them.
Would you agree with me on that? But then God says, I'm going to hear. I'm going to forgive. And I'm going to heal. Would you join me in praying for God to heal this sin-sick land in which we live? How many would raise a hand and say, Pastor, I'll give a public testimony. I'm going to join you. I'm going to pray that God will heal our, our nation. The promise is there, but we've got to do these other things. Would, would you join me in praying that God would grow our church and the other three churches that we're working with? Would you join me in that? Would you give a testimony? Hey, I, I'm going to pray. I'm, I want to do these things. If we are not serious... I want to challenge you. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is very serious about what she's doing. The alphabet people are very, very serious about what they're doing. They are planning, even as we talked this morning, legal suits against people who believe the right, trying to make it... Uh, against the law to operate as a church in this city of ours. So perverse in their understanding of American history that they think a tax uh, exemption for a church is a subsidy of the government. Well, that takes for the basis that the government owns everything and controls everything and that everything comes from the government. That is so antithetical that is the exact opposite of what our forefathers believed and why this country was founded we believe that everything is owned by god and the government doesn't have the right to mess with it whole another sermon i'm sorry but i'm i'm asking this morning if you're saved if you're not saved you can get saved how about that we'll start there If you are saved, I'm just asking you today, would you be willing to be called by his name? That means getting baptized and joining the church. I'm asking you, would you be willing to get serious about our prayer life and praying for God to heal this land? That means we've got to get serious about what's going on in our own personal lives that nobody knows about except God that's offensive to God. Most of us could make a list. But if we did that, God says He'll hear, He'll forgive, and He'll heal. And all God's people said, let's pray.